0: one of the most difficult things we'll learn to do in this life is trust. To trust in another person, to give our trust to them, to be vulnerable enough to give our heart and mind even to another. Consider the many places where this can be true, not just between you and the one you love, but perhaps your family, your office, school, neighborhood, church even. The the ability to trust is something that often takes many of us a lifetime to learn, and some never really do. Trust is not easy. Ernest Hemingway said, the best way to find out if you trust if you trust somebody is to trust them. And there's the problem. It's so difficult to be vulnerable enough to trust another. You know, in this church, when we ask you to, to become a member of this congregation, we ask two simple questions. Do you trust in God? Do you trust in God as revealed in Jesus Christ? At first, it sounds rather simple. It sounds fairly easy, really, like it's no big deal. Yet, to be in trust, to trust God, is to imply that you want to be in a relationship with God. Sometimes churches ask you to affirm a theological or an intellectual statement about who Jesus is and what Jesus represents in the world. It's a nice thing to do. But oftentimes I've found that it's easier to affirm something intellectually than it is to emotionally say, yes, I will trust not only in God, but in the God that's been revealed in Jesus Christ. Trust means that you're willing to rely on the promises, the teachings, the instructions of God, especially as they were seen and revealed in Jesus and in his life and in his preaching. To trust those promises means that you're going to give your own life to that way of life. These promises are made especially clear during the season of Advent. Mary's Magnificat, as recorded by Luke, is a song sung by Mary when she discovers that she's pregnant with the child she will name Jesus. In In the middle of that song she sings, He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. It's a clear promise. The one she carries in her womb the one she carries within her own body, the the holy infant, tender and mild, will grow into full adulthood. And someday he will proclaim as part of his teaching, whenever you care for the least of these, he'll say, for the hungry, the sick, the naked, the thirsty, the abandoned, the forgotten, the refugee, the foreigner, the outsider, anytime you care for the least of these, it is though you are caring for God's very self. When you do this, Jesus said, it'll be as though you're already in the heavenly realm. And when you fail to do this, well, you might as well go to Hades. Jesus' way of saying it actually was more direct than mine. Do you trust that this is true? Does your life as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of the Christ child, reflect this promise? Jesus goes on to be very, very clear in all of his teaching that when we give ourselves indeed to the least of these in this world, we find that we've learned to trust in God and God's ways. Now, now I, I, I want to be clear. I, I love Christmas. I love the carols and the meals and the parties and, and all the rest. I even love the way that Mary's song points toward the message that her child will proclaim when he becomes the great rabbi. In fact, the season of Advent is the time for waiting and a time to remember what it is we're preparing for. When this child comes among us to care for the poor, to bring justice into the world. And so that's why we read these old texts from Isaiah. It's more than just a nice reminder of the quote that, I, that Matthew uses in his gospel, in his Christmas story. Isaiah wants old King Ahaz to pay attention. He's trying to help him. The king is lost in a world of worry and fear. He sees an army breathing down his neck, and he is just scared to death. And his people are frightened, too. They're looking for the king, to their king for leadership. But he's, he's overwhelmed by anxiety and, and fright, and he really can't do anything for them. You, you see, this word that you hear every year in Matthew's Gospel is one that finds its roots 700 years before the time of Christ when this king Ahaz is trying to make everyone happy. He just says whatever comes to his mind to make the crowd in front of him happy. If it's a crowd of his, of his subjects from his country, he'll talk about his faith and how he trusts in Yahweh. If it's folks from another place, he changes to that religion. He just kind of blows with the wind. Whoever's in front of him, that's who he's trying to make happy. When Isaiah writes to him, Ahaz, this king, is making an unholy alliance with with former enemies and by doing so he's going against the promises of God to care for the poor and instead he's making an allegiance with those who have supposed power you see his fear is causing him to make poor decisions fear almost always gets in the way is that true in your life it's true in mine. Hey, listen to these old words from, a, from a, an old Star Wars movie, one of the prequels. This is Jedi. This is Jedi Master Yoda speaking to, to a young Anakin who will grow up to become the evil Darth Vader, who I'm sure, even if you don't like Star Wars, you know, who, you know who Darth Vader is. Yoda says to young Anakin, Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering, and I sense much fear in you. Whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, get the point. Fear leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Ahaz is afraid. His fear will lead to the suffering of his people. He's failing to see the world through the eyes of God. His fear is blocking his ability to to trust in God's ways. He wants to put his trust in the politics of power and control. And Isaiah is just simply inviting him to, to give his trust to God. Isaiah, by the way, is probably a young prophet at this time. And he stands before Ahaz and says to him, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child. She'll bear a son. She'll name him Emmanuel." As I said, you no doubt recognize those words. They were quoted by by Matthew. They're sung every year in this season of of Advent. But I don't want us to get ahead to that point. I, I want us to pay attention to this text a little bit more. He goes on and says, This child will eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. I know, it sounds kind of weird. It doesn't make sense in our context. But he's basically saying, By the time this child knows the difference between right and wrong, Between yes and no, more or less by the time he's two, your worries about these kingdoms that seem to be ready to attack you will have gone away. It's all going to fade. You need to relax, Isaiah is saying. Put your trust in God, not in power, not in control, not in weapons of violence, but in the ways of God. Trust, believe, and the ones you fear the most will fade away. You see, God is doing all God can do to help Isaiah understand. To help Ahaz understand, to help this frightened king receive the goodness of God's, God's grace in his life. But Ahaz, he kind of displays a false piety. I hope you he heard this when, when Carla read it. He said, oh, I would never put God to the test. He's quoting scripture there. Do you, do you have a friend who quotes scripture? Do you, do you know anybody who's like that? Who can quote scripture, who can talk about their faith, who can say how wonderful and deep they are in a, in a relationship with God? But then the more you get to know them, the less. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just wondering. You ever seen anybody like that? I had a counselor at Christian camp when I was in high school. I just finished ninth grade. This guy guy was a young seminarian, super Christian, Mr. Spiritual, talked about Jesus and could preach a nice sermon, a campfire talk for the kids and all. But in the cabin where I was, he was a mean guy. I mean, I was 14 years old, almost six feet tall by then. I weighed approximately 89 pounds. I had this beautiful, long, wavy, strawberry blonde hair that, that, that bounced on my very skinny little shoulders. I was the palest guy in all of Southern California. And, and this counselor liked to say, Hey, Glenn, did you miss the sun this year? What happened? And he'd make little jokes about my hair and how skinny I was. And and then he'd pick on the other guys in the cabin, too, and find some little thing to needle them. And I I was a 14-year-old. I didn't know nothing about nothing. But I knew what I saw we knew. His cabin kids knew. What we saw in front of the campfire at night wasn't really who he was that's kind of how ahaz is he's got this supposed faith oh i would never put the lord to test and isaiah so and saying to him basically it's okay go ahead put your trust in god ask for a sign in fact here's a sign here's the sign you need but ahaz refuses he's going to depend on his own his own ways and refuse god's maybe you remember the old joke it's an old joke and probably everyone can recite it but still it fits for the morning you remember the joke about the farmer who's who's been told by the sheriff, hey, there's a big flood coming, the rains are going to come, and the rotters rising. You know this joke, you know the joke I'm talking about? Pretty soon that day comes, and there there is a little bit of a flood, two, three inches of water around the farmer's house, and the the sheriff drives over in his four-wheel drive and says, come on, farmer, jump in, and the farmer says, oh, the Lord will provide. Well, the water gets higher and higher and higher, now the farmer's moved up onto his porch. The the sheriff comes by in one of those flatbed uh, boats, you know what I'm talking about, with the big fan in the back. He comes sipping around on that three feet of water and says, hey, come on, Come on, farmer, jump in. Let's go. He says, no, 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 the Lord will provide. You've heard this story, right? The water gets higher and higher. It's up at the top of the the roof almost. The the farmer's up on the roof, and the sheriff comes in a helicopter and says, come on, come on, I'll give you a ride. And no, 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 the Lord will provide. Eventually, the farmer drowns. He goes to heaven. He stands before God and says, I thought you would provide. What happened? And God says, I sent you a four-wheel drive, a flatbed boat, and a helicopter. Come on. It's an old joke. I know. I know. Still a good one. It's still a good one. Thank you. Whoever said that, yes. The Lord will bless you. And the, and the reason we tell it over and over and over and over again is because we still have a hard time learning its simple lesson. We still have a hard time trusting in the very gifts of God. Sometimes the smallest gifts of the smallest persons, even the weakest, are signs of God's presence in our world. I've talked to you a little bit in the past about some of my father's issues. My father, of course, was an ordained pastor in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, and he spent his entire life battling his addictions. But even in his weakest, worst moments, he never failed to preach and teach on Jesus' command to care for the least of these. One year in the summer of 1975. There was a group of college kids from Southern California who came up to San Francisco where my dad was a preacher at First Christian Church to spend a couple of weeks on a mission trip, much like our India folks are going to India, to work there among the poorest of the poor. My dad gave them a a, a speech one night about what Jesus really intended for them to do, that indeed, when you care for the least of these, it's like you're doing it for God. Well, there was a couple there. Their names were Scott and Gala. Scott was a a business major. Gala was planning to be an English teacher. They were going to get married and, and start a life and do like anyone else would, but they got inspired by my dad and they went back to their college. And after they graduated, they said, Let's do something about the poor in Mexico, especially. And they started a ministry called the More Ministries. That was 1975. I can't do the math quick enough. Maybe that's 41 years ago. 41 years ago, 41 years later, those two kids, inspired by my weak and less than perfect father, have now helped people from all over, 400,000 volunteers from all over the United States build 19,000 homes along the United States and Mexico border. It's amazing what can happen when even some of the weakest among us will at least pay attention to the things God wants us to do. There are 40,000 formerly homeless folks in Mexico who would agree. Sometimes trusting in the promises of God is really as simple as sending a, a prayer note or, or a greeting card. I've received so many notes from all of you over the years, especially the last few weeks. There's just there's just too many to name, but two stand out. One, both of them are here this morning. One of them is Pat Martin. Pat sends maybe many of you receive notes from Pat. She's a former chair of our elders, longtime leader in this congregation. I get a birthday card from her every year, a Christmas card, a note on our anniversary. She sends notes to my family notes of encouragement. Sometimes they're extremely funny, kind of make fun of things a little bit. Sometimes they're poignant, thoughtful, and maybe even sad. But always after I receive a note from Pat, I feel like my day has been blessed. There's a newer member of our church. His name is Norm Arbo. Norm is a retired Baptist preacher. In fact, Norm told me, he said, you know, ever since I retired, you're the best preacher i heard. Still working on that. I can't quite figure out what that means. But Norm's been writing me a a note almost every week since he joined, since he and Don, his partner and his love, joined a year ago. He prays for me, prays for my family, and he prays for you. Now, those gifts seem small, don't they? And yet, it's a sign that that Pat and, and Norm trust. In, in the gift of God and the grace of God, that, that even doing something simple as saying, Dear Pastor, I've prayed for you this week. Dear Glenn, have a happy birthday. That, that's enough. You don't even know it, but you've been blessed by their prayers, by these little, these little gifts. Of course, that's part of the problem, I suppose. If we, if we look at them through Ahaz's view, we, we might be thinking, what good are those little things? I mean, come on, we got a couple of armies ready to attack. Our world, like Ahaz's world, feels dangerous. It feels like there's terror just around the corner. Are acts like these really going to change the world? Isaiah, the old prophet, he'd say yes. He points at a young pregnant woman. In Hebrew, the word Alma means young woman. He points at this young pregnant woman. might have been Ahaz's wife. Some scholars think it was Isaiah. That's what I think. I think it's Isaiah's wife. He points at her and says, you see her? She's pregnant. By the time that child, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. By the time that child is old enough to know between yes and no, right and wrong, two years old or so, you'll be fine. Your country will be safe. There's, there's something about the birth of a child that really can make us feel new again, alive again, strong again. I, I think that's part of the reason why we love infant dedications around here because every time we walk these little children around, Every time we walk up and down the aisles and carry them, it's a sign of God's presence in our congregation. Little Jackson is over there sound asleep, I think. This is the effect I have on children. (laughs) Little Jackson came a little early. He was a little too small, a little too soon. But you look at him right now and you'd never know it. But even as tiny as he was, as small and as worried as his parents were, in his tininess he was still a sign of the power of love. Not just the love that his parents have for him, but his grandparents, and now so many of you. Still, though, there's this ambiguous feeling that somehow the power of love isn't enough, that somehow the the love of a child is, is really not that great of a sign. And yet, if we read through Scripture, we'll find that God does God's greatest work not in the halls of power, but in the places of weakness. Consider Moses. Where was he born? He was born to a Hebrew slave. He grew to lead his people out of slavery and create a great nation. Consider Jesus. Where is he born? He's born to two wandering refugee parents. So poor they have nowhere to stay. In a stable, surrounded by shepherds. Jesus comes into the world, and now we mark time. We mark time by his birth. Whenever I hear this text from Isaiah or from Matthew, it causes me to think about my own babies. They're 26 and 22 now, grown up mostly. Already, though, they're showing great promise. Nate's our fashion consultant. That's a whole sermon in itself, all by itself there. He's now working for Tivill, providing his expertise for the jewelry store. If you need a Rolex, I can connect you. Trust me. Stephen's the actor, and he has more talent than he realizes, And, and yes, we're proud of them, but still, they're my babies. I remember that Nate came to us almost a year to the day after Julie miscarried, the first time she was pregnant. She was so excited. I was leading a church camp. She drove the three hours up to the camp to tell me. Had a cake made, and everything came in. I was like, why are you here? And there was this cake that said, congratulations for having a baby. We named him Nathaniel, which in the Hebrew is Natan, El, gift of God. We'd wanted for so long to have this little boy, and then we had we had Stephen. He's named after Julie's brother, who's a farmer in Eastern Oregon, little town of Stanfield near Hermiston. I'm sure that tells you exactly where it is. Steve, Stephen is, Stephen's uncle Steve is is a quiet guy, a farmer who speaks rarely, but when he does speak, he always brings us this kind of wise nugget into the room. My boys call him the Zen Master, which the fact that my son Stephen is named after someone like that is really kind of ironic in itself. That's another story. But you see, why I'm telling you all this is their names carry great meaning for us. Maybe they won't be as famous as Isaiah's son Emmanuel or Mary's boy Jesus, but then again, maybe they will be. I know, I know. It's kind of sappy to talk like this on, on the Sunday before Christmas, and, and maybe it's kind of too sentimental and, and too emotional, too much for a Sunday morning, or is it really? I'm thinking about a couple of other kids in our church. Uh, last, last, Saturday, last Saturday, I think it was last Saturday, last week anyway, I watched the Army-Navy football game. Did some of you watch the Army-Navy football game? You know, yeah, Karen Gallagher, I know you did. Uh, it, Navy, Navy had beaten Army 14 years in a row. I don't know if you know this, but it's a law in the United States of America that you're required to root for the underdog. I just want to let you know. And so I was pulling, I was pulling for Army, but not just because they were underdog, but also because Ted's there in the military academy, working hard, great kid, great young man, a future leader in our, in our country, no doubt. I, I was pulling for Army because I was thinking of our friends Bill and Jan Daniels, who are members of our church, their sons, Kurt and Clay. Both went to the military academy. Both, both graduated and then served our country, served in the Middle East in the middle of war, in the middle of a time of extreme terror and fear. I, 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 when Army won the game, i got to tell you, this is so corny, I'm sorry, but I got tears in my eyes. I got to thinking about Kurt, who was injured in Iraq when he was there. How worried his mom, Bill, and Jan were. His parents, Bill and Jan. I I thought about the the Christian church in in Washington, D.C., National City Christian Church, where my my friend Steve Gentle is the pastor. I I called Steve and I said, Kurt is a member of our church. He's been injured overseas. Can someone go see him? And they sent a pastor or a Stephen minister from their church every single day that he was in the hospital in Washington, D.C. to pray for him. I thought of you all and the way many of you prayed for that boy. That man, that leader, I remember the day he sat way back there where Dan Beebe is my far left. Almost in that exact same spot. And we prayed again for him. A prayer of thanksgiving. That he'd come home. That he'd finally come home. Yeah, I know. The world looks like a, a cold, frightening place. The wars continue. The, the fear seems to be hovering over our very land. But still, But still, we gather on a Sunday morning here in the middle of advent to proclaim that the promise is still true that a child will come his name will be emmanuel god with us i know it doesn't seem like much i know i know it seems so small so tiny so so almost missed and yet we speak the promise again to say that yes god is here we saw it in the little ones we dedicated today. We saw it in in Kurt and Clay when they came home. We saw it at my house when Nate and Stephen grew to be better than we ever could have imagined. We see it now even when the promise is spoken again on a cold day in December. The Lord will give you a sign. The young woman will bear a child. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. You see... We'll be home for Christmas when we finally find the courage we need to trust in the God that sends that child. Amen.